Is it warm in here? Amen. I just noticed that. 1 Kings chapter 18. I want to read verse 30. I begin reading at verse 30. And uh, we're going to read pretty much through verse 39. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 30. It says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four, four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Let's skip up to verse number 36. It says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. And that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Now, what I read today is the culmination of the great story in Scripture of Elijah's challenge to the 450 prophets of Baal, calling them to Mount Carmel. Because the people of Israel were torn between worshiping Jehovah and worshiping Baal. And so Elijah sent word through Ahab because Elijah had essentially been led by God to call off the rainfall and then to allow the rain to fall, so on and so forth. And Ahab said, are you the one that's troubling Israel? And Elijah said, no, you're the one that's troubling Israel because you are leading Israel. God's people into disobedience by worshiping false, this false god, Baal. He called them out to Mount Carmel, and there they had a showdown on Mount Carmel. One prophet of God named Elijah against 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah said, let us build an altar, let us put a bullock on the altar, and let's do this. Let us ask for our God to answer. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. If Baal answers by fire, then we'll know Baal is God. If God answers by fire, Jehovah, then we will know that he is God. I want to share with you a little bit of interesting insight into this story. But first of all, I I want to encourage you because I know that probably during a period of fasting and prayer, there are questions that come to your mind like this. Why are we doing this? Why am I making this 
commitment. And why am I foregoing cheese and sour cream and sizzling ground beef? Why am I foregoing whatever it is that you are fasting during these 40 days of consecration? I want to encourage you and let you know that, uh, uh, that going through the process, you may not feel the victory in the midst of the process. That's one thing that I've learned with fasting. Sometimes I go into a period of fasting, and rather than feeling more spiritually, I feel grouchy. Can I get an amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Rather than feeling closer to God, I feel just like my mind is full of a, of a haze, and I can't figure out which way is up and which way is down. But uh, the reason that... Um, One of the reasons that I feel that the Lord has compelled us to direct the church to 40 days of consecration has to do with the significance of 40 days. As I shared with you uh, one time before, all of the many of the great men of Scripture have the, 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 the number 40 somehow attached to them in terms of preparation, in terms of, of uh, getting them ready for what God was going to do. Um, you look at Moses, there was 40 years there in the, in the wilderness before he went before Pharaoh. And, uh, uh, and then you look at Noah. It was uh, 40 days that the water was over the earth to cleanse the earth. And, uh, um, and uh, then we, we could go on and on to many different examples in Scripture. Of course, the greatest example of all was Jesus, who fasted for 40 days. Elijah was another one that fasted for 40 days, but Jesus fasted for 40 days prior to facing down the enemy and going out into his earthly ministry of miracles and signs and wonders. It was a process of preparing. And Jesus said that when Satan came to tempt him, Satan found nothing there because there had been a purging of the carnality and of the desires and the lusts of the flesh. There's an interesting principle that uh, I won't belabor tonight, but... uh, I heard it preached about one time, and uh, I've also read about it in a book. And it has to do with a name that is used in Scripture for Satan or Lucifer or the devil. Another name is Beelzebub. Have you guys remember seeing that maybe in your Bible reading at one point? Beelzebub is another name for Satan. It's used in the Gospels frequently uh, where Jesus said would... uh, uh, Beelzebub be cast out by uh, by the minions of Beelzebub. Uh, 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 a kingdom against itself will not stand. But uh, the word Beelzebub, which is another word for Satan, actually means anybody know? Lord of the flies. Everybody say flies. Everybody say flies. Just kidding. You don't have to do that. But uh, pesky, pesky flies. And Beelzebub is the Lord of the Flies. And uh, uh, I know that uh, this is kind of an example of these minions of flies representing the demonic forces of hell. And when you see flies, you see a lot of times a bunch of them together. And uh, this would represent, in in essence, the minions of hell. And one one verse in Scripture in Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1 says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Uh, So doth a little folly in him uh, is a reputation for wisdom and honor. But here's the point. The ointment or the anointing oil, the precious anointing oil, 
that is a sacred anointing. While it says if there are flies that get into it, it causes the ointment to stink. It gives forth a stench. Rather than the, the, the sweet smell that it gives, it affects negatively the ointment. And we said earlier that we want to ask God for a fresh wineskin, for a fresh anointing. That is a fresh attitude for a fresh anointing of God's Spirit because we can't put the fresh into the old. And so in this preparation of having a fresh anointing, we also want to make sure that if there's anything that can spoil that anointing or anything that could affect negatively that anointing, we want it to be taken care of. And the Bible says that flies in the ointment can cause it to give forth a stink. And I believe that sometimes in our lives there are pesky things that uh, have satanic origins that have an effect on our lives that are negative that keep us from being everything that we can be and walking in victory and having our head held high and knowing that Jesus is our God and knowing that we can overcome because of these oppressive things and we swat at them and we may take care of it a while but we all of a sudden like like you ever been in your bed at night and you hear that buzzing in your ear and you're like I cannot sleep with this am I the only one like that that you're just sleeping there and all of a sudden and I'm like, I, I got to get up, turn on the light, wake up the family. We got to take care of this thing. And that's what happens a lot of times in, in our anointing. But here's what I believe this 40 days of fasting and prayer does. Jesus took 40 days. Elijah took 40 days. So on and so forth. This 40 of purging is they have proven that there is not a species of flies that can live over 40 days. So if you applied a, some kind of an uh, uh, insecticide on a crop 40 straight days, you would not just for the season but forever take care of any infestation there in the flies because of the reproductive cycle. For 40 days, it would take care of it once and for all. And I believe, I believe that in my spirit as we follow the example of Jesus Christ, obviously we're not going on a total fast, but we're doing 40 days of focus, consecration to the Lord. That during the, that time, there are some things that you've been struggling with for a while, some things that have been plaguing you and some things that have been affecting you negatively that you can get the victory and you can overcome and destroy strongholds during this 40 days. Anybody believe that? Amen. I believe that. I believe that. And uh, so, but ultimately at, at the root of all of our commitment to this fasting and prayer is that God would favor us with fires of revival with the demonstration of the Holy Ghost and fire in our church as well as in our personal lives. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Everybody say fire. A fire. Whose fan is in his hands, he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so the promise here, John the Baptist said, when Jesus comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with 
fire. This is an accompanying element uh, of our new birth experience. And uh, I think fire is an excellent uh, uh, way to describe what happens when a person receives the Holy Ghost. The word fire is mentioned very often in Scripture. I did a little study today looking over fire. The first mention of fire in the Word of God is when Genesis chapter 19, it says, The fire of the Lord fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the fire of the Lord. The second mention is the fire of sacrifice when Abraham took his only son, uh, actually his only son of promise, with him up to that place called Mount Moriah and went to offer him there as a sacrifice. That's the second mention of fire. And the third mention of fire in Scripture is when God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush. And then when God's people went through the wilderness, they were led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And this pillar of fire is uh, typifying the Holy Spirit uh, that leads and guides us. And Moses said, God said, I'll let you go up into the promised land. I'll fight for you. I will take care of it for you because uh, Israel had disobeyed. He said, but I'm not going up with you. What he meant was, you can go, I'm going to make it available to you, but you're not going to have the pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud with you when you go. And Moses said, I'm not going unless you go. Because I've got to have your guidance and your direction. I've got to have the assurance that you're there with me. I don't want to walk away from the pillar of fire. And I don't want to walk away from the pillar of cloud. And this pillar of fire once again typifies the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our life where the Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truth. And the Lord descended, the Bible says, on Mount Sinai in fire. I'm just sharing with you today that there is always a connection in Scripture with God and fire. The Bible says that the Lord is a consuming fire. Everybody say consuming. Consuming fire. In Exodus chapter 29 Verse 25, it says, And thou shalt receive them of their hands and burn them upon the altar for a burnt offering, for a sweet savor before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And often these sacrifices uh, that were committed to God was an offering of fire. And uh, in Deuteronomy, God spoke at Mount Oreb from the midst of the fire. And the people knew God was there because of the presence of the fire. And then they heard this voice emerging from the fire. And it's also in Deuteronomy where it says God is a consuming fire. And also in Scripture you see that fire fell from heaven uh, for different individuals as a sign from God that He was with them. Remember how Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was rejected, right? Abel offered a sacrifice of a, the firstlings of the flock. Cain offered the fruit of the ground. God accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's. Most Bible scholars believe the way that God showed his acceptance of that sacrifice was that fire fell to consume the gift or the sacrifice that Abel offered. And Cain's uh, sacrifice received no fire. And I don't know about you, but I want God's fire to be in my life. I want his favor and blessing and anointing to be upon me. 
Amen. Moses had fire from God. David also, when he offered up a sacrifice, fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And as I read in your hearing tonight, Elijah had this consuming fire take and consume the sacrifice that he gave. Fire is chosen to symbolize the Holy Spirit. And I believe it was chosen to symbolize the Holy Spirit because of what it does. Fire burns out the dross and fire purifies and fire give light, gives light and fire provides warmth. Amen? And in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And we're fasting and praying because we want that fire from heaven to change lives. We said this church is going to be built on changed lives. And that doesn't happen by anything that we do, but that happens because of the evidence of God's anointing, which is the fire from heaven. Hallelujah. It's that force that purges us. It ignites us and lights us and shows us the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. There's something about fire that uh, has this ability to get people's attention. Have you noticed that before? That people are always... Human beings are attracted to fires. Amen. Uh, if you're out in the, in the dark, in the, in the forest or in the woods or whatever... And there's a fire. What does it do? It just draws. Not just the flies, but the people. They come because there's warmth there. There's, with the light, there's a sense of community. There's a light in the darkness. And especially in darkness, fire draws attention. How many know we're living in a dark day? And the fire of God's Spirit draws attention. And uh, If you see a uh, house on fire, what do you see? You see a lot of gawkers there standing watching. I, I w- went over to... Uh, um, to the L.A. Fitness Gym, and there had just been a vehicle that was caught on fire. And they, it, it, there was no fire anymore, but they were just cleaning up the residue. And all these people were standing around. I'm like, don't you guys have anything better to do than to stand around and look at a truck that used to be on fire? <laughs> or we were uh, driving back from, uh, um, uh, from the north on Highway 5, and uh, coming down between San Fernando and Pasadena, and there was a vehicle that was lit on fire on the side of the road. And guess what? We had to sit and wait as everybody drove by real slowly and just looked at that vehicle on fire. Isn't that aggravating? It's like, come on, man. you never seen a fire before, but then when we got by there, we were all looking to... Because there's something about fire that just draws and attracts our attention. And, and, and with human beings, it's fascinating. And so this fire of the Holy Spirit, when it's burning somewhere, it draws people in. And when revival and anointing and fire is in the church, people have a tendency to be drawn into it. And uh, when I talk about the fire of the Holy Ghost, what am I talking about? I'm talking about miracles that are happening in our midst. When People that were blind and they can see and then people who had cancer and then they don't have cancer anymore and people who were in a wheelchair and they come up out of the wheelchair and people who had pain all over their body and then all of a sudden they don't have pain in their body anymore. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about fire. That that catches people's attention because there's no human being that has the power to do that. You know, there's a lot of things we can do as human beings. We can work and we can 
uh, strategize and, and, and we can create structures and so forth. But when it comes to the miraculous, that's something that gets people's attention because it's something that is supernatural. Amen. It's just moving and working and having its way. Miracles. And, and then, when, when you know, another awesome thing to see is when people whose lives were totally disinterested in the things of God and they do a 180 degree turn and they give their life completely to the Lord and they're delivered from all these kinds of sinful things in their lifestyle, that attracts attention as well. You know what I'm talking about? People whose lives are drastically changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And these life changes that we're talking about is evidence of the fire of the Spirit. The anointing that comes into the houses. People minister the Word of the Lord, whether in song or even in, in preaching. That anointing that is there is a sign of the fire. When people are baptized with the Holy Ghost, that's a sign that the fire is there. I, I just get amazed every time that I see it. Somebody who has no clue about it. We haven't talked taught them about it. We haven't given them all kinds of lessons to uh, uh, predispose them to recognize or expect the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when God falls upon them and they begin to speak in tongues, that's evidence uh, of the fire of God's Spirit. Amen. You know, in the early days of Pentecost, this is a, a very interesting thing. In the early days of Pentecost, I believe it was in Houston, it was in Texas, one of the cities in Texas. They've been having, uh, this is when Pentecost was first born in the 20th century. Obviously, uh, Pentecost was first born in the first century. But when the church was beginning to explode with influence and people were beginning to receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, just a little reminder of the story, 19, 19, uh, in, in 1901, uh, or when it switched from 1900 to 1901, Agnes Osmond received the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues in Topeka, Kansas at a house called Stone's Folly. That's where the first uh, recorded, modern recorded baptism of the Holy Spirit took place because they were studying in, in, in about what was the evidence of the Holy Ghost that happened there. And then the Holy Ghost began to be poured out in, in revivals that the teacher who was teaching there was preaching. And, and it was beginning to spread. And it was becoming a curiosity. And people were interested in it. So they had this huge revival. I believe, it, if I'm not mistaken, the huge revival was taking place in Houston, Texas, where a number of people were being filled with the Holy Ghost. So there was debate as to whether speaking in tongues was, in fact, the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or whether it was just a phenomenon caused by everybody else doing it. So they went to San Antonio, and this was their agreement. This is going to be an, an exam or, or, or an experiment that we're not going to mention speaking in tongues. We're only going to speak of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it was agreed among them. They went to this revival. I believe it was in San Antonio. They began preaching there. And while they were preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this gift that God had for them, people began to receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. They weren't predisposed to anticipate or expect that, just told that the Holy Ghost was coming if they would seek it and hungrily cry out after God and God would pour out. This is the evidence of the fire of God's Spirit. Amen. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit being poured out on souls and lives being changed. Amen. And when there's fervency in prayer, that's a sign that the fire is burning. When it's a real challenge to get people to pray, it's a sign that the fire embers are real low. 
know what I'm saying? But when people are anxious and hungry and eager to, to get in and engage in prayer, that's a sign that the fire from heaven is burning, that the engine is rolling, and that things are, are happening, amen, that things are taking place. And when people are committed to fasting and evangelism, reaching lost people, that's a sign that the fire is burning in the church, amen, concern for lost people. When there's a passion for purity, to be righteous, to be holy, to be modest, these are things that are evidence that the fire is burning in people's lives. It's burning out the lust of the flesh. It's burning out the desires of this world. It's burning out all this passion for all these things that used to interest us. And all of a sudden there is this fervent burning desire to be like the apostles and the disciples and to have God's anointing flowing through us and to impact lives with the gospel. Amen? The Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. Or many people believe they will recognize evil spirits. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen. After the Lord had spoken this unto them, uh, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, verse 20, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, signs following, signs following, confirming the word with signs. What does that mean? That means the fire is falling and people know, hey, the word's true, boom, because the fire has fallen. The word is true because there are signs that are following, amen, not that we seek after a sign. The Bible says it's an evil and adulterous generation that seek after a sign. But the Bible says that the signs will be following them that believe. The signs being the evidence of God's sanction and favor and blessing. The signs being the thing that cause people to be drawn and attracted. Amen. I don't know about you, but I am one today that wants to be in a church that has the fire. I am fully convinced that this is not something in the past. That this is something Something that we have to listen to old people tell stories about. But this is something that our young people are going to experience for themselves. They're going to see crooked legs be straightened out. They're going to see blinded eyes be opened up. They're going to see fevered brows, amen, be cooled immediately by the power of the anointing of the Spirit. God is a miracle-working God. Nothing is impossible with Him. And the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. I'm standing here today saying, I want the fire. I want the anointing. I want God's favor. I want God's blessing. I want these signs to follow us as believers. Come on, that's it. Praise Him right now if you feel that way. I want it. I want the fire. Hallelujah. Amen. And you can try to argue... Against theology, you can try to argue against someone's stated belief system, but you can't argue against an experience. You can't argue somebody whose baby was choking and they called on the name of Jesus. There was the delivering power of the Holy Ghost. And you can't argue, come on, somebody whose bones were in a degenerative state and somebody prayed over them and those bones began to recover. You can't argue when somebody had uh, asthma so bad that they couldn't believe and somebody spoke the name of Jesus over them and all of a sudden they were delivered from that day forward. And you can't argue when someone had bone spurs on their back and facing surgery and couldn't even stand up and somebody said from this day forward by the name of Jesus, you're not going to have back problems anymore. 
anymore. And 30 years later, they never had another back problem. I'm telling you, this is the fire of the Holy Ghost. This is what this church was born in. This is what this church is going to move forward in. That's why we got to move forward on our knees. Because we can't produce the fire on our own. Amen. The fire doesn't come from creative sessions. The fire doesn't come from my skill set. Fire doesn't come because of your personality. Fire doesn't come because you have the best strategy. Fire comes from heaven. Fire falls from heaven. It is God, the sovereign God, who lets fire fall here and fire not fall here. The Bible says the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst tell where it's coming and where it's going. That means man doesn't have the power to harness and control it, uh, but God's the one who determines the fire is going to fall here. And I don't know about you, but I'm saying, Jesus, uh, I'm standing here today recognizing that the revival that I am salivating for is not going to come through my skills, but it's going to come from heaven. And I'm saying fire fall on us fire fall on us in life church and I don't want to fall into the trap and become like the Laodicean church still called a church still believers but they were lukewarm amen and God said return Return, return, return. Amen. He said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He said to the church in Ephesus, return to your first love. Put the fire back in your belly. Get the passion back. Ask God for the great things that you can anticipate and expect. Amen. Amen. It's not good enough to have faith yesterday. It's not good enough to have faith last year. The Bible says now faith. Now faith. Amen. I'm believing for great things now. I'm believing for revival now. I'm glad they had revival in the brush arbor. And I'm glad people got up out of wheelchairs. But I want people to get up out of wheelchairs at 380 South Rosemead Boulevard. I want people's blind eyes to be opened at 380 South Rosemead. Come on. It's going to ha- It's already happened. It's going to happen some more. But we're praying that God would send His fire. The fire of His anointing. His blessing. On this church. I want to draw your attention for a few moments to the most famous passage probably regarding the falling fire, and that is the story of Elijah that I read for you. This challenge went out. The 450 prophets of Baal came to Mount Carmel. All of Israel was out to watch this show, this encounter between the old grisly prophet Elijah and these 450 young handsome prophets of Baal. Elijah said, you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Amen. I still believe today that people will recognize the real thing. People will be able to discern the difference between that manufactured by man and that produced only by God. Hallelujah. So the Bible says that that these prophets of Baal were first. They put the uh, altar together and the the bullock on the altar, and they began their prayers. They began their chants. They began their incantations. The Bible says that they began to leap all over the place, take knives and cut their bodies. They cried out to Baal, saying, Baal, please, 
Show these people that you're real. Show these people that you're alive. Please, Baal, show them, show them. And after they became weary and lost some blood, Elijah said, okay, y'all done? My turn. My turn. The Bible says, what did Elijah do first? Before he prayed his prayer, the Bible says, Elijah prepared the altar. Amen? If you want to have fire, you've got to have an altar. That's a place where you humble yourself before God. That's a place of repentance. Amen? That's a place of getting right with God and having an encounter with God. But I want you to notice in verse 31 there of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 31. And I heard this analogy used years ago when I was a Bible school student. And it affected me so deeply I've never been able to forget it. Not that I've been trying to forget it, but that it's just made an impression on my spirit. And, and in 1 Kings 18 and verse 31 says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. So the first thing that he did in order to see the fire fall was he rebuilt that altar by laying those 12 stones in order and put it on the right foundation. I want to tell you guys today that if you want the fire to fall, God's fire to fall, it has to fall on the right foundation. It has to be built on the right foundation. There's a lot of craziness that you can see out there in the name of religion. But the fire of God will fall on the right foundation. Amen. Elijah said we've got to be built on our heritage and our tradition of the right foundation. The twelve tribes of Israel. God spoke to Jacob and said thy name shall be called Israel. And that's our foundation, he said. This is our foundation, the, the Word of God and, and, and the uh, uh, tradition that uh, we have been given. The Bible says that we can only build on this foundation, the same foundation that was laid, which is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. So I want to tell you that... Uh, any church that does not stay on the apostles' foundation cannot anticipate the falling of the fire. Amen. I believe that God's fire falls where truth is being declared. There is an opportunity for God's fire to fall. Not a guarantee, but an opportunity. So you start with the right foundation of the apostles' doctrine and the prophets, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Word of God being the foundation upon which this altar is built. Hey, hey you guys guys want the fire? you got to build on the right foundation. It's got to be built on the foundation of the Word. Amen. You can't deviate from the apostles' doctrine. The apostles preached it clear. They preached it straight. What did the apostles teach? They taught, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I wonder if anybody's got that in the fiber of your spirit yet. Amen. That's who we are. That's what the apostles taught and it was built on the foundation of the prophets. He said he built this altar in the name of the Lord Jesus. How many are glad for the supremacy of the name of the Lord? Amen. 
Amen. I got to correct that. He didn't build it on the name of the Lord Jesus. He built it on the name of the Lord. But you and I know what that name is. The name is the name above every name. The name of Jesus. Elijah didn't know that name yet, but we know that name today. The name of supremacy. The name that has power to wash away our sins and cast out devils and give us deliverance over sickness and disease. That's a powerful name. That's a mighty name of Jesus. The right foundation. That's why truth is so important. And we want all of our new believers to get a foundation of truth because if you don't have a foundation, you're just blowing around like a tumbleweed. But if you get rooted in a foundation of the Word of God, the foundation of the Apostles' doctrine, if you go somewhere and they're preaching any other gospel than that, then you know you walked into the wrong place. Amen. Because you want the fire to fall and the fire falls on the right foundation. Do you guys get that point yet? Amen. Built on the apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. That means the teaching that the apostles taught is the teaching of the foundation. So he started out with that. But I want you to notice that even though he put the stones in order, fire did not fall yet. Anybody got that? No fire fell. The next stage, the next thing that he did is he took, the Bible says, and he took wood and he laid it in order. Everybody say, in order. Verse 33, he put the wood in order. So the second thing is there has to be some structure and some order. Right? On the right foundation of teaching. I'm talking about life church here now if you haven't noticed. The right foundation of teaching. And then after that, there is the wood or the structure. And he laid it in order. As the Word of God said, let all things be done decently and in order, there is structure to the body of Christ and structure to the house of God. And uh, there is a certain amount of things that we have that we could say would be like the wood structure. What do we have? Uh, that, that's kind of all the stuff that we have. How many are glad we have a building and we're not sitting out here on the ground or having to meet out in the park? Uh, I'm, I'm glad that we have a building. Is there anybody that's glad we have chairs that have padded seats on them? Like Pastor Brown, I've lost so much weight the last four days. The seat's just too hard. Glad for microphones, music instruments. This is wood. Aren't you glad that we gather together? Some of you don't even know, but we gather together before each service on Sunday, have a top ten meeting to make sure the ushers are in their place and know what to do and the greeters have all the materials that they need. And all of this is the structure. Amen. And we want to do our very best to have a great church service according to the word of the Lord. Amen. And put things in order. Everybody say in order. The wood, the stuff. But notice that even though they had all this in order and they were on the right foundation, they still didn't have any fire. You need to get this point. Look at me right now. Look at me because I want you to get this point. Life Church can be teaching the right doctrine and have all the structure together and still not have the fire. Are you with me? We can have the right foundational teaching, teaching the right stuff, having all the structure in order, all the planning and the strategy, making sure that we execute our services well, all the slides are ready, everything is just right, and there be no fire fall from heaven. Because he built the stones and put them in place, and he put the wood in order, and then finally the Bible says he put the bullock onto the wood. 
And when he put the sacrifice on top of the altar, now we're in business. Now the fire can fall. Now there can be God's sign of His blessing and acceptance that fell upon Him. I want to tell you that all through Scripture, there were many sacrifices that were offered to the Lord. In the times that fire fell from heaven, it didn't fall on an empty altar. It didn't fall on a pretty altar that was well ornate and beautifully done. It fell when the altar had a sacrifice laid upon the altar. And so this bullock symbolized sacrifice. And sacrifice is, I believe, believe the key element in 2011 to seeing the revival that we want to see. Yeah, we got to stay on the right foundation of proper teaching. And yeah, we've got to make sure that we, to the best of our ability, have the structure in place. But when we get the structure in place and when we're on the right foundation, there needs to be some people of God that say, God, I want to give myself away. I want to give myself to you, Lord Jesus. I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to live unto my own appetite and my own desires but I have something inside of me that says God I want what you have and whatever I can do Lord Jesus to lay a sacrifice and I want to remind you today that God always notices and recognizes when his people do a scripturally correct sacrifice of commitment to him and it gives him something that he can consume because the Lord our God is not a random fire but he is a consuming fire and there's got to be something to burn up and what we have to burn up is the sacrifice and the commitment and the passion and the desire to please God and obey Him yeah I can tell it's hot now you know some people some people have this idea that living for God is supposed to be easy and that there's any inconvenience along the way that they must be out of the will of God But the fact of the matter is, sometimes we've got to stretch ourselves, amen, because we've given our lives completely to this thing. Look at the lives of the apostles, the disciples. They gave themselves completely to this thing. Many of them were martyred. They were literally sacrificed for this thing. But but not the Bible, but historians say, particularly Christian historians, say that the blood of the martyrs were the fuel of the New Testament church and it caused the church to expand and explode because why? There were people that were willing to put their life on the line. I want to share with you today that that day Elijah put the bullock on the altar, but he was doing more than that. He was putting his life on the line that day because if you read on in the story, The losers didn't just go home. The losers had their blood pour down the brook Kidron. Amen? The losers were annihilated that day. And and, uh, Elijah understood that if God doesn't answer by fire, it's my hide. I'm done. And he laid his life on the line. He stood there while all these other people said, Jehovah is a myth. He's not for real. He's old school. He's not contemporary. He's not up with the times. Elijah said, I don't care what you've got to say. I'm standing on the foundation of 12 boys that were born of Israel. I'm standing on the foundation of years of experience knowing that Jehovah fought for us. He parted the Red Sea. He sent down manna from heaven and Jehovah is still contemporary. Jehovah is still relevant. Jehovah is still the deal. Amen. And I want to tell you today that you can stand in the face of this world and that says you've got to just give up and do it easy way and say, I'm living for God according to the Word of God. 
Jesus said, my yoke is easy. Amen. It's not a heavy yoke. But living for God is inconvenient at times. If you're going to obey this book, it's going to be inconvenient at times. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes being sold out. It takes complete, complete commitment. Don't raise your hand, but anybody ever been made fun of for being a Christian? Anybody ever been made fun of because you didn't dress like everybody else? Anybody ever been teased because you wouldn't go some of the places other people were going? Uh huh. Come on, somebody. Amen. And God recognizes every time that happens a sacrifice of commitment to the Lord. Not just random things, but this is in obedience to the Word of God. I'm surrendering my life to the Word of God. And sometimes that's going to cause people to look at me sideways and cause people to think things about me. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says He despised the shame. And sometimes there is a sacrifice of commitment that sometimes will bring us embarrassment or shame. But I'm here to tell you that God recognizes every sacrifice and the sacrifice is what puts the potential for the fire to fall. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No fire ever fell until the sacrifice was placed on the altar. I remember, I don't remember, it just happened this week, but my daughter's Cambria, Brooklyn, when we went on the Daniel Fast, they had to do the media fast with us. And uh, they weren't too excited about it. They're like, what is this all about? I don't get it. The internet's working, but we can't use it. And then we went into the Daniel fast, and uh, we personally decided not to require our kids to do the total Daniel fast. But we talked to them and said, we need you to decide something to give up, give up something for this time of commitment. And Brooklyn's like, what does that mean, give up something? I said, well, it's something that you're not going to eat or drink because you are consecrating yourself Jesus, you're making a decision, and they begin to think, and they immediately Cambria came up with something that she doesn't even like, and said, "I'm going to give that up." And we're like, uh, "I think you missed the point here." It's like I'm going to give up broccoli for the whole month. Some of you wish you could give up broccoli right now, don't you? Uh, and so, and I believe uh, it, it was uh, uh, all sodas and soft drinks that. Uh, um, that they, they, they gave up. See, David said it this way, I refuse to offer something to the Lord that costs me nothing. Somebody said fasting's hard. It's supposed to be. Fasting's no fun. It wasn't supposed to be fun. It's sacrifice. Amen. Are you guys with me? It's sacrifice. Sometimes when you get down to pray, it, you'd rather do something else. Anybody been there before? Anybody honest enough to say, man, I'd rather be somewhere else. But you know what it is? It's a sacrifice. You're laying your life on the altar. Amen? And you're giving God an opportunity to bless you. You're giving God an opportunity to send His favor into your life. I'm going to tell you one thing's for sure. You show me somebody that lives a life of prayer and fasting, and I'll show you somebody who has miracles in their life who God uses to win people to the Lord, who walk in victory. Come on. Amen. I just want to encourage somebody today that what you're doing is not a waste of time. 
It's not something just to be a part of the group and just to hang out with us and we're all going to eat weird stuff for 10 days. It's about laying a sacrifice on the altar. And I want you to think about that when there's something that you want to eat and you're like they come into the office with donuts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, Or boss says, I'm taking you all out to lunch today. Maybe you're on the uh, dawn to dusk fast and you're like, great. I wonder if they have... Uh, pine floats. Anybody know what a pine float is? Some of you, some of you people know what a pine. That's what my parents used to say when I said, "I, I want a milkshake. I'll get you a pine float." One said, "That's a glass of water with a toothpick floating in it." And so, uh, this is sacrifice. It's commitment. Amen. And sometimes when it gets difficult, when it gets difficult, remember, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm, I'm laying my life. On the altar for the Lord, I'm laying this unto you, Lord Jesus, and I want your favor. Your, it matters more to me than anything else. It matters more to me than anything. Amen? Praise the Lord. And this commitment to God during this time, these days of consecration, is going to put us in a position where God's blessing and anointing and fire can fall in our lives. Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And, and I've, I've seen it so many times, I, I don't know how I can get you guys to buy into this reality. But churches don't really start having revival until people start sacrificing. Amen. Amen, amen. There may be good services and good things, but I'm talking about a deep move of God where God begins to change people and transform and powerful things happen in people's lives. It happens, amen, when people begin to lay their life on the altar, when people begin to, sometimes it's financially. I've seen revivals break out when people start giving way beyond their ability, way beyond their comfort zone, and God moves on them to give, and they give, and that breaks something in their life, and all of a sudden there's a flow of anointing in their life, and and, and sometimes it's a lifestyle things like fasting and prayer that we're doing right now, that sacrifice and that commitment breaks something in us so that God's anointing can flow through us. Uh, I want God's anointing in my life. I want the flow of His Spirit to come all over me and flow through me. Amen. And I want just to remind you on this Wednesday night uh, that what we're doing during this 40 days of fasting, it's not just a weight loss program uh, and it's not just a group thing to do, but it's something we're doing unto the Lord. Amen. Jesus said they're not going to fast while the bridegroom was with them, but when they leave, they're, when the bridegroom leaves, or Jesus was indicating when I leave, they're going to be fasting. And we see that example. There was fasting and prayer in the New Testament church, and the fire and the anointing of God's Spirit fell upon them. Amen. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, God, I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. We, we live in a, uh, in a world that's so catered to. You know what I'm saying? We're so... We take care of ourselves. I mean, if we lived in a different culture where they live on $2 a day, we'd probably have a different mentality. Probably be a lot easier to fast if you lived on $2 a day and had a bowl of rice every day. 
But for us, we're so used to taking care of ourselves and so used to, you deserve a break today. Uh, uh, if it sounds good, enjoy it. That this movement to sacrifice is more of a challenge sometimes to those of us who are in the rhythm of catering to ourselves. And that includes every American citizen <laughs> that are in the rhythm of catering to themselves. And when you stop that rhythm and say, no, say, no, I'm sacrificing. I'm sacrificing. It's a challenge. It's a difficulty. But I believe God can call people to be overcome with a spirit of sacrifice where it just overwhelms them. And they're like, God, I'm ready to work for you. I'm ready to let my life be consumed. Let my life be consumed for your purpose. Let my life be consumed. My talents, my gifts, my everything consume me. Consuming fire burn in me. Abraham took his boy up to Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice at the top of the mountain. God had called him to do that. Told him to take your son Isaac. Offer him there as a burnt offering. Can you believe this? He took his own boy that he waited one hundred years for promised child and he took him up to the top of the mountain and uh, Isaac said hey dad I noticed that you've got uh, some wood here I noticed you've got the means to build the fire but I also noticed that there's no sacrifice and that no doubt hit Abraham in the heart because he knew he was going to have to take his own son and take the knife across his throat and let the blood pour out right at his own hands to slay his own son. But there was such a spirit of sacrifice that got a hold of him. Even though God was merely testing him before he poured out his promises on him, Abraham was so lockstep ready to do what God asked him to do the spirit of sacrifice got a hold of him so strongly that he took him up there. He placed him on the altar. He was preparing to take the knife and to deal the death blow. And God spoke to him and said, Abraham, Abraham. I don't believe any words are wasted in Scripture, but notice that he had to speak his name twice. You only had to tell him once to do it. When he told him to stop, he had to speak his name twice. He said, now I know that you love me. I see your sacrifice. I see your commitment. And there was the ram caught in the thicket, a type of Jesus Christ who died so you and I don't have to die. There is something in my spirit today that says, God, let that get a hold of me to where I don't begrudge commitment to you. I don't begrudge my, the cost of living for you and what it takes to please you. Let that spirit get a hold of me. I want to please you, Lord. Let's bow our heads right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word, Lord God. I thank you for the truth of your word, Jesus, and the inspiration of your word. And tonight, Lord God, we are a group of people who have made decisions in our life to live for you. Lord, not just a little bit, but wholeheartedly. To give you our heart, our mind, our soul, and strength, Jesus. And during this time of fasting, Lord, I know that you've allowed this time also to be a time where we begin to appreciate the, the pleasures of life, the little blessings of life. 
thank you, Lord God, for all that you've given to us. Jesus, during this time of prayer and fasting, Lord God, let this be a wholehearted church-wide commitment unto you, to your favor and for your, for your favor and your blessing. And Jesus, we want the fire to fall. We want the fire to fall in our schools. We want the fire to fall in our youth group. God, we need the fire to fall in our youth group, Jesus. We want the fire to fall, Lord Jesus, in our children's ministry, dear God. We're praying, Lord Jesus, and asking that your fire would fall in every life group, Jesus. That as these relationships are forged between brothers and sisters, as we eat together from house to house, God, that also, Lord Jesus, our relationship with you would be strengthened. I pray, Lord God, let your fire fall in every area of our church. Let your fire fall into our marriages, Lord God. Strengthen them, Lord. Try them with fire. Let them be stronger, Lord Jesus, and purified. I pray in the name of Jesus, let your fire fall on me. I want to serve you and live for you, Lord God. I want to be purged and cleansed, Lord Jesus. Uh, hallelujah, Lord. I pray in the name of the Lord during this time, Jesus, uh, as we sacrifice and commit ourselves to you, let your favor and blessing be upon us on every family, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Lord. And ultimately, we pray, Lord, let your fire fall in our community, Jesus, uh, in our city, in our area, Lord God. Turn the tide, Lord Jesus. Uh, let revival fires burn in this church, Lord God. Let it spread through the community, Jesus. Let it spread to other churches and other areas, Lord God. We pray for revival, Lord Jesus. On the right foundation, Jesus, with things in order, Lord God, but with the sacrifice of our lives and our commitment on the altar, we pray in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. There is a prayer group here at... Uh, I forgot about um, uh, Friday morning at 10.30 if you want to come by in the men's deal Friday at 10 o'clock p.m. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.